Good morning, everyone, and a very happy Palm Sunday to you. This Sunday is beginning the Holy Week, uh, the, one of the most important weeks in, in our faith, and so we're grateful that you decided to uh, spend this day with us. Now, uh, everyone who came in uh, should have gotten a, a palm leaf, a palm branch, whatever you want to call it. If anyone did not get one, uh, they can help you back there. And don't be afraid. Stacy, Pastor Stacy is going to teach us all how to do it if you want to participate. So if you're sitting there, you're thinking, I, I don't normally do decoupage or arts and crafts or whatever, <laughs> they, uh, we, will, we will help you as much as we can. But we say uh, welcome to you. And uh, we say hello to everybody that's online today. Uh, we, we hope that uh, you can see us okay. We hope, our, uh, we hope the, the streaming is working well on Facebook and YouTube. And if it's not, it'll definitely be there later on today and also at ccmonline.org. Uh, we'll be receiving communion together. So friends at home, if you haven't already done so, make sure to get your bread, your crackers, your tortillas, whatever you have, and some juice. And we'll receive communion uh, with one another today. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of what's happening for you that are online today, and we say welcome. <laughs> Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How about our communion ministers come up front? And we can even begin to walk up and in uh, as we're walking, joining in the prayers. Those that would like to receive communion from uh, pastors and, and our care ministers, you can come up front. If you'd still like your self-serve, it's right under the cross. You can grab that. But we're, let's just fill this place with prayer. Amen? Amen? Amen. Oh, friends, if we pray what God might do. So together, come for communion, bring your prayers, light your candles, let's fill this room with prayer and trust in God. Praise you, Jesus, that you made a way where there was no way. Thank you. Thank you that you made a way for us to walk together. I pray for wisdom and grace and compassion in responding to a friend, making choices. Prayers for Carmen and grandkids as they take their mom Prayers for peace. Let there be peace. There's room for another pastor to serve over here if we have a pastor in the house that can come over and serve right here. and love and God forever. No more war among people. 
And so some, if you'll come right here, we're, there you go, beautiful. Kathleen, maybe Jamie, you can serve too. For this beautiful family, David Gamble family. pray for no more bad things to be happening in schools. Patricia and Jeff and Pam, healing of cancer and strength for the family. for people who battle with MS and other health issues, children and grandchildren. For our children's safety, that we would all grow in love and not hate, we would love one another. Prayers for our grown kids and grandkids and our marriage. Peace for all those who have experienced violence. Prayers who all loved Jack Snyder. Snyder family. Tim to return to family. Sandy and family loss. For someone I trusted. for Katie's family. For healing in my family. If anybody has a pair of glasses, I would Prayers for longing and healing of my heart. Healing of Claire's eyes. Thanks, Jamie. I pray that as we celebrate the resurrected Jesus, that God's work would be done and resurrect old friendships. Thank you for healing my appendicitis. We pray for a great week back at, at work. 
God, for being there in the dark times and keeping me from doing anything I would regret. God is great. Amen? Amen. Please heal my grandpa in all the ways you see fit. And please keep inviting my family to seek you. Peace for the whole world. Prayers for my mom. She has cancer. Cure for my depression. Let's hold all these prayers and more up to God. Oh God of mercy, grace, justice. Here are all the prayers. You're hearing them. You are the God who loves us and heals us and answers. And so we give all this thanks and mess to you. Difficulty, ready to um, release our kids upstairs. We want to pray um, for the offering today. If you're online, uh, you can give online. If you're in the room, you can also give online um, just by your phone or whatever. There's also some baskets. Some of you have already given. I love that. It's just like just this environment of worship because giving is just a part of our worship, right? It's just a part of God has created us to do and be. We are literally a reflection of God. You were created in God's image and likeness. And certainly one of the things that God is and does and a prominent characteristic of God is God's generosity, right? So we want to be generous people. We also want to be sensitive to those of us or those in the community, those online, that are maybe struggling uh, with their finances and pray for that. So can we join together um, and pray around what uh, God has blessed us with when it comes to our finances. And Lord, even now we pray you'd help us grow in our generosity. We all come into this place with different needs, with different hopes, with different desires, plans, futuring. Some of us have real life struggles today, very real struggles with things like career or just making ends meet. So Lord, we just pray that there would be this environment, not only of generosity, but of restoration and healing. Let Crossroads be the kind of community where, uh, Lord, we would love one another with our resources and love our community and our world with our resources in a way that makes a difference, uh, the kind of difference that you want made on the earth with what you've given us. We recognize that we live in a blessed land and we pray, God, as we know, uh, 
much has been given that we would be generous with that much. So bless your people and help us to grow in grace and generosity and meet each and every person in need at the place of their need. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're in the room and you want uh, to give a check or something, there are baskets up in the front, so you can do that as well. God bless you guys. Now kids, um, I love Palm Sunday because uh, the scripture just kind of gives this picture of the kids' worship um, on that day. And uh, we, we bless you. We bless all the young families. We bless every child. And we pray on this day that as you go upstairs, kids, that your lives, that God meets you in the place of wherever you're at. If you're celebrating today, kids, we pray God would just join in that celebration. We trust that, right, that Jesus is joining in with your celebration those of you uh, that are struggling a little bit and families, uh, those of you that you know your kids have some challenges, uh, we bless each one of the kids and we pray that God would do something remarkable not only on this day, but in, in the days forward for the kids. Let this be a tremendous week for you kids. And we bless our teachers and we bless everyone that puts their hands to helping our kids grow and become the people. Imagine this. Imagine our kids. God has created them for something remarkable on planet Earth. So we just pray uh, that that would come to pass in their life. And we protect that. We protect the prophetic purpose over each and every child in this church and each and every child in this community. We bless them and pray that God will continue to do a work in their lives. Kids, go on upstairs. Let's have a great Sunday. Enjoy your teachers, and God bless the teachers. Amen? And so I just have a few opportunities for you. As you know, we're in Holy Week, as, as Don already said. And we have um, opportunities for you this week, uh, starting with Monday, Thursday. Um, that will be at the Marx's house or online. If you want more information on that, come on over to Next Steps. Uh, we have our Good Friday outside at the Labyrinth. I'm praying and believing we are going to have nice weather. If it's cold, we'll bundle up. If it's raining, we're going to come inside. Uh, but we're going to walk the Stations of the Cross outside on the Labyrinth. And then, of course, we have Easter Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, so don't forget to invite your friends to come and join us on Easter Sunday or and or any of these um, opportunities. Also, we have a Wounded Healer Retreat coming up. Uh, we heard Ann today talk about trauma, and there's big trauma, there's little trauma. Whatever the trauma, God desires to heal us, to heal all that we've been through that has created wounds in us so that we can be healers um, for others. And so definitely you want to sign up for this retreat and allow God to heal your wounds so that you can be a wounded healer. So that's on April the 22nd. And then also we have baptisms coming up. So April the 23rd is going to be our baptism um, Sunday. So if you've never taken that next step in your faith, we would love to be with you as your church community surround you and celebrate with you as you take that next step. And then also for our youth. So if you are a middle school, um, a middle school student or you have a middle school student, on Friday, the April the 28th from 7 to 9 p.m., right here at Crossroads, we have a, a hangout schedule. There's food and music and games and all kinds of great things. And I see it, uh, 
so Pastor Stacy's going to be taking care of that with all the kids, and then uh, Pastor Jacques Short will be a special guest, which we all know he's a lot of fun. So um, if you're a middle school student or you know one, please um, consider coming to that. It's gonna, and bring your friends. That'll be a, a great time. Um, I don't think there's a sign-up for that. However, if you want information, come to the next steps, or you can find Stacy, and she'll give you all the information that you need. Thank you. Palm Sunday, everybody. Um, I grew up loving Palm Sunday. Like, I thought it was like a top 10 holiday. I loved waving my palm branch. I'd, like, dress nice. I'd angle to try to be the person who led my grade first down the aisle, which my grandpa was the pastor, so I typically, like, got my way. Um, and I, I don't know if any other kids felt this way about Palm Sunday. This is actually the first time I've been handed a palm in my adult life, so this brought some of Palm Sunday back for me a little bit, but um, it was, it, my feelings about Palm Sunday kind of remind me of a conversation I had recently. AJ was saying, you know, I read this article where sports reporters were ranking their top five annual sporting events, and I got, I said, oh, like the Indy 500, and he was like, no one said the Indy 500, but as a kid who grew up in Indiana, like, racing was amazing, it was the best sport, and this was the greatest spectacle in racing, and I moved one state away and realized that the thing that I thought made my state famous, people do not care about, so that was really unfortunate for me. And I guess I should have realized with Palm Sunday that it's more like Christmas Eve. Like, we don't have to split hairs about what holiday this is, right? Like, nobody's like, it's really a close one for me, like Christmas Eve or Christmas. Which one do I like better, right? Um, but as a kid, Holy Week was this, like, amazing thing that swept into my life every spring. And um, Palm Sunday felt triumphant. And then we had a Monday Thursday service with this amazing organist, and it was, like, so edgy, like, all of the feelings Jesus had at the Last Supper, and then we went to Good Friday, and I got out of school for Good Friday, so that was a holiday in and of itself, even though it was just so sad, and I remember for the first time in a Good Friday service when I was in the fourth grade, praying um, and telling Jesus that I understood the sacrifice that he made for me and that I wanted Jesus to be the leader of my life and experiencing the feeling of the Holy Spirit in my life for the first time on a Good Friday. And then you walk into church on Easter Sunday and it's the contrast, right? Like the joy, the Easter lilies, everything just feels different. Um, and so in my life as a kid, like these were all just very distinct holidays. Um, and I'm grateful that the church calendar like helps us that every spring, Holy Week makes a dramatic entrance into our lives, right? And the story of Jesus makes a fresh invitation into my life every single year because there's so much that happens in a week in this story. And I love that we get to live it in a week and think about how wild that is, right? That Jesus came into the world and for 30 years, like, didn't have much of a ministry, mostly just a person. Then after three years, He's peaking. He's coming into Jerusalem, the homeland of, the, of his faith. And then within a week, the same people who are praising him kill him. And when we think about all that must have happened to create that much change in a week, we learn so much about people, right? We learn about um, how strong our feelings can be when we don't get what we want. We learn about mob mentality. We learn about the ways that people want to manipulate us when we have these strong emotions. We learn so much about what um, it looks like for Jesus to not meet our expectations <laughs> in this week. 
and for us to have this invitation. The title of this message is um, Intentional Solidarity, and what does it look like to remain in solidarity with Jesus when he's different than we want, when he's different than we thought? What does it look like for us to change our minds and to change our actions and to remain with the heart of Jesus that is longing for us to live in a story that is more true? So I love studying um, the story of Palm Sunday this week, um, preparing for this message for the past few weeks. Um, And this story is in all four Gospels, which is kind of a rare thing. Like, there are a lot of parts of Jesus' life that aren't included in different Gospels, like the birth of Jesus, right? Like, that's not in every Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000. So for some reason, this event mattered a lot. If you go to Samuel's Four Gospels Bible study, you learn that there are four different kind of pictures of Jesus that these gospel writers are intentionally trying to craft and show us, and all of them feel like this story is so important to understanding Jesus as a servant, Jesus as a king, Jesus as the son of God, right? This story matters. And um, for the context before we read it, um, it says, after Jesus had said this, and before this story, he tells the parable of the ten minas, which is about being an investor in the kingdom of God. I'm so grateful that Luke gives us this insight that he tells that story because he knows that when that he's about to enter Jerusalem and that when he enters Jerusalem, people are going to expect the kingdom of God to come immediately. And that's really helpful to me to understanding what's going on in the story of Palm Sunday, right? Um, that if you think something's going to happen immediately and then you find out it's a group project and you're supposed to participate, like, there's a lot of tension there, right? Um, So he's trying to say we're investors, we're doing this together. Like, Jesus is the only person that is aware that this is a group project. And if you've ever been in a group like that, you know how frustrating that would be for Jesus. Um, So we're going to read the passage. It's a little long, so I'll interject in some places, but do your best to follow along. Um, If closing your eyes and imagining it helps, go ahead and do that. If reading out loud with me helps, go ahead and do that. So it says that after um, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And I think this part of the story is interesting. I was talking to AJ about, should I just like leave this out? Um, And it's interesting that even here, he's trying to invite them to participate in the story, right? Like there is a prophecy that's a thousand years old, and people are expecting Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey if they think he's the Messiah. There's some wonderings, right? Um, And Jesus is inviting the disciples to go and find this donkey. He's giving very clear instructions so that they can help. Um, And still, they don't quite get that their participation and their partnership is essential to the kingdom of God coming on earth. So we find they didn't just have a donkey. They go and they get this donkey. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And this is actually the reason I chose Luke's gospel. We get to see a little bit of what Jesus experiences as he rides into Jerusalem and the contrast that that has. Um, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, referring to Jerusalem, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus' attitude is a bit in contrast with the people praising and waving their palm branches. There's this stark difference in what's going on here. Um, And I think that that's fascinating, that my childhood experience of just really wanting to be one of these people who recognizes Jesus doesn't include the fact that those are the same people who want to kill Jesus, right? And what an interesting story that we have in Palm Sunday that those are the same people, that the disciples, the people who have been following him, men, women, and children, a huge crowd, um, are all this quickly, like, they're saying peace on earth. And Jesus is saying peace is what you don't understand, right? There's so much tension in this passage. And a lot of the tension is around the call to worship passage from this morning. That in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And people knew this passage. They've been waiting for this moment. And I think it's really important to understand um, that they have circumstances in their life. They have this text. Jesus is fulfilling every prophecy as he should, right? Like, He is sticking to what was prophesied about him, but these people have a narrative about what that means, right? That has created their expectations for what's going to happen, right? When you have been a people who have been sitting in silence, waiting for God to act, you're under the oppression of the Roman Empire, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting for God to act, and then you finally see the thing that says this is God's action, you have expectations for what that's going to look like. You've been told, you've been given an interpretation of what that means. And the thing that they're so excited about isn't who Jesus actually is, right? It's their expectation of what is going to happen. And I think this is really important to understanding what happens in Holy Week is that this narrative, that all of us create narratives around our circumstances, right? Like it's an essential part of life. Um, But the narrative that the Jewish people had at this time creates a lot of tension that Holy Week can't help but uncover. So we have kind of three main groups or characters that we need to think about in this story. The disciples, um, this crowd who's praising God for the victory and peace that's about to come, who are experiencing this just joy that finally God's going to act, God's going to do something. And I don't know what they expected. I don't know if they expected fire to fall from heaven and their enemies to die and it would just be done. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a problem in your life where you just expect God to fix it. Like, he's a healer, he's a provider, I'm calling on the character of God, and I would really love for it to look exactly like this right now, (laughs) right? Um, And maybe it's happened for you before, so you believe it's going to happen again, right? 
Um, so the disciples, all of these people are so excited for what is to come. The Pharisees, on the other hand, already, Jesus has not met their expectations. They have already decided that this cannot be God because this God is not working in the narrative that they have of who God is, right? Um, and so all they can hear this whole time is like, Jesus, you're letting people believe that you're God. This has to stop. This is blasphemy. That is the penalty for blasphemy is death. We can't allow this to continue. But the Pharisees are also picking up on at this point that the emotions of the people are big, right? And that when the people's expectations aren't met, they might also start to think that Jesus isn't the Son of God. They know it's just a matter of time before people start to pick up on this isn't what we thought it would be. Um, and they're there and ready for that. And then the third really important person in the story is Jesus. And Jesus is weeping. And I think Jesus knows that he's really misunderstood. He knows that all the things these people are longing for, he isn't. And it's not going to happen that way. And I think it's really important to note that Jesus isn't laughing, right? Like, Jesus isn't like, oh, you didn't get it. Like, joke's on you. He's so brokenhearted over the pain that's going to come from this misunderstanding, right? He is weeping over this city that in 70 years is going to, right around the same time of year before the Passover will be taken over by the Romans. There's going to be a five-month siege. Many people would die, and the Jewish faith will never be the same. People will scatter. The temple will be torn down. Jesus knows all of this in that moment. He knows that the consequence of us not understanding what God looks like and our role in the kingdom of God will be painful for him when he dies on a cross, but it's going to be painful for us because when our expectations aren't met, it hurts right? Um, and changing our narrative of who God is and who we are is painful. It's hard work. So as Holy Week unravels, or unraveled, Jesus continues to challenge expectations with a new paradigm. And I spent some time looking at, you know, I had this rhythm growing up of Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, but a lot of really important things happen between Sunday and Thursday. Jesus immediately comes into Jerusalem, goes into the temple, and flips some tables and says that this religious system isn't working. Um, and his authority is constantly being questioned. He's telling parables that really directly accuse religious leaders. Um, but the biggest tension, I think, is that it's becoming undeniable as the questions get more direct from people about his identity. He can't deny it anymore, right? We see it in this passage that the people, like, He's like, the rocks are going to cry out if they don't. Like, it's becoming so obvious who I am with all that we've seen um, that this really interesting tension um, of how it impacts the people's thinking when Jesus is the Son of God. Like, how differently they interact with him when he's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. Um, but once we know he's God, we have a lot more um, to talk about. <laughs> right? Um, and so I think there's this really interesting thing that's happening here where we aren't just grateful for the miracles that happen. We actually need to work out the relationship with God if this is God, right? And this new paradigm is painful for people to figure out that Jesus came in and fire didn't fall from heaven, and now what are we going to do if the Messiah isn't going to take over the Roman Empire? So um, as people deal with the implications of how Jesus differs from their expectations of the Messiah, their emotions are really big, 
right? There's fear, there's doubt, there's frustration. Um, and this is when it's really easy for the Pharisees to take advantage of their fear, frustration, and doubt and organize them into a mob that would demand that Jesus be killed, right? And so what I'm gleaning from this story has been that it's really important what we do when our expectations aren't met. Like, how do we respond when things don't go as we planned? Um, So the invitation I want to give us to think about today is to remain in solidarity with Jesus. Adele Calhoun taught at our February Crossroads School of Spiritual Direction and talked about this idea of remaining in solidarity with Jesus. And I just can't stop reading scripture through this paradigm of what does it mean that in heart I can remain in solidarity with Jesus, that I know when my expectations aren't met, that Jesus has already wept with me. He's not laughing. He's not punishing, right? But that he is weeping alongside of me as we redirect, right? We remain in solidarity with Jesus in our vision, that when we find out that Jesus and I see different things, I can see it more like Jesus, right? Like, my, my choices aren't to break up with Jesus, right? But it's not that we, like, have to part ways. The invitation is to change our concepts, to align more with what Jesus is inviting us to. And we can remain in solidarity um, in action, that when Jesus flips table at the temples, it changes the way that we interact with the temple, right? That when we see something new, we align our actions with that as well. And I think that um, it's just, I don't know if you have ever not had your expectations met, but I want you to think about a time. Uh, Maybe we can start with something that's a little bit more surface level, like you're watching a movie and something really unexpected happens. I don't know about you, but I'm always embarrassed when I like gasp, right? Like it snuck out of me, like, or I grab something. Like surprise has a weird way of manifesting in our bodies, right? Um, And then, you know, you make it a little bit more serious and it's something in your own life where your expectations weren't met, whether it's relationships from someone you love betrays you or you just you trusted someone and then it doesn't go as planned Um, I don't know if you've ever felt like the dropping in your stomach that happens right when you realize that this isn't going to be what I thought it was going to be and then on a different level um, some of us have not had our expectation of God met right we um, might have believed that God would heal a person that we love very much, and they die. We might have believed that because God is good, he will come through for me in a certain way. And when that doesn't happen the way we see it, it's really easy to believe that maybe God isn't good. But I think there's an invitation for us when we think about remaining in solidarity with Jesus um, to notice the places that shame creeps in when our expectations aren't met, right? We can start to think, man, I'm dumb. Like, how did I not see this? Like, I must have just missed the boat. Um, Or we get really defensive when shame comes in, right? And we say, no, this is exactly why I thought that, and I'm not changing my mind. Um, But I think the invitation in my life from Jesus has been to wonder, like, how could this be better, right? As I hold the things in my life that haven't met my expectations, And I know that Jesus weeps and takes them seriously with me. It is easier for me to ask a question of God, what does it mean for you to be good, right? What does it mean that this didn't go the way I planned? And it is amazing to me 
Um, recently, I had a spiritual director invite me to, one second, hold the thing that I um, was hurt about, the thing that didn't meet my expectation in my life. My spiritual director invited me to hold it, and then they invited me to lift it up and ask a question to Jesus about it. And Jesus answered my question, or I felt there was a response to this question, right, um, that offered a lot of peace. And it required me to change my narrative of the situation pretty significantly. And then I lifted my hands and gave those things to God that had been weighing me down. And even the answer to the question, right, like, I'm willing to hear a new answer if we do this again tomorrow. And then I just brought my hands back down and felt what it felt like to not have that thing in my hands anymore, right? And the peace that comes with having these physical practices that help us to deal with our expectations shifting, right? Because the emotions are going to come, the feeling in our body is going to come, but it's do we have the ways to talk to Jesus about what just happened, right? Um, because when we don't have the conversation with Jesus, there is this tension that grows, right? We don't have a lot of conversations during Holy Week where people come up to Jesus and ask these questions, like his close disciples do, but how different would it be to have that conversation midweek instead of after the resurrection, right? And I think part of what's painful about um, all of this is that remaining in solidarity with Jesus requires letting go of the narratives that we have written about God. Many of us were taught interpretations of scripture growing up that we have had to let go of, right? Many of us um, have had those expectations that have had to shift. And so part of what's scary about letting go is that it means letting control of the narrative too. And it doesn't just mean, like, I really wish this is how it worked, that there were like two systematized theologies and I could just pick one. Like if I had one and then there was another one and I could make a really critical decision and then choose that one. But more often than not, I think what Jesus is inviting us to is like, okay, you have this like perfectly worked out thing. You've crafted it your whole life. And now I'm inviting you to the unknown. Do you want to come there? And I'm like, no, not at all. Not at all, actually. Like I would rather be able to predict what you're going to do than have to trust that what you do is better than what I want. I want to tell you what I want and for you to say, of course, right? <laughs> like that is a lot of how I prayed growing up, right? But to instead be able to say, all right, I don't know exactly what this means about you, God, but I know that you're good, and I lost this pregnancy. Like, I know that you're good, and this person hasn't been healed yet. I know that you're good, and I don't understand what your goodness means in this thing yet. But I'm willing to ask you to show me what your goodness looks like in this very specific experience, because that is where Jesus shows up, is in our everyday life. It's not just in the Bible, right? It's when we apply that in our life and invite Jesus to rewrite our narrative because we have more information and data coming in every day to have better, truer, more loving narratives about God. And then the second part of that is that remaining in solidarity with Jesus requires letting go of the narratives we have written about who we are. And that can also be really scary. <laughs> that as we shift our narrative about God, there are some things about me that I might have believed, whether that's that I'm going to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and maybe I'm not, right? Or it's that I am not worth loving, 
right? Jesus is going to challenge that narrative, right? As we have this more loving view of God, we start to see ourselves the way God sees us. And when we stay in the old systematized theology, often we don't get that invitation to change how we view ourselves. But as we ask these questions directly to Jesus, Jesus responds not only about who he is, but what he's doing in my life in the most tender and loving way to invite me to see that I have been given far more opportunities than I think I have, that there are so many ways that God is at work beyond what I can see, and I would never have seen those things if I didn't ask God what he sees in me. So um, I want to invite you to think about what unmet expectations of Jesus are you holding right now? And this could be something from like 10 or 15 years ago, right? Like sometimes we carry these things around because we just don't know what to do with them. We're trying to be faithful. We're trying to show up. We're trying to believe that God is good, even while we're like, but this thing, I don't know what this is doing over here. And I just want to invite you to hold that thing in front of God. I want to invite you to think about what it is that might need to be rewritten um, about your narrative of God and self to help include that thing, because there are no accidents in our life. God is at work in showing us everything that is happening in our life helps us to better understand God ourselves and others. And so um, everything belongs and we can allow for that. So um, as you hold those things, um, I have one more point to make, but I just want you um, to experience the love of Jesus, the wonder that we can have about God, that when something doesn't fit into our paradigm, that Jesus, you have something better surrounding us and waiting for us on the other side. Um, and if you just want to hold that thing, if you want to ask a question about it, it's amazing how Jesus can have a response. And when Jesus doesn't, the silence can be healing too. And the last thing I want you to keep in mind as you continue to hold this thing and talk to Jesus about it for the remainder of the service. Um, in John 13, 1, um, it's right before the Last Supper, and it says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I have always loved the thought of Jesus loving them to the end, because what a complicated ending, right? And I think there's something really beautiful about Jesus knowing that their expectations will not be met, and he's still going to love them through it, right? Whatever it is that you are holding, Jesus is aware, and he is loving you perfectly. The Greek word for end is telos, and it's not just like, it can be used as like the end of this time period, but it also means the, to the aim, the goal, or the fulfillment, and when you think about that verse and how he loved those in the world to the end of the goal of what would be happening in the next few days, that means he's loving us all perfectly still, right? He loved those in the world to a perfect and eternal completion, and that includes each of us and the work he's doing in our life. And as we hold these really tender things, um, I think it's an important reminder that Jesus is unwilling to settle for less in our lives. That when we have unmet expectations, Jesus could just let us carry around false narratives. Um, sometimes I think that would be more loving. <laughs> like, Jesus and I have had that conversation of, like, I just really would have preferred you to stay over there, and I could keep walking over here. But there is nothing more loving than helping people to live in a story that is real, 
right? It is not loving to let people live outside of reality. And Jesus is unwilling to settle because our reality is going to continue to shift, right? These narratives change our whole life. It's not like, oh, I fixed it. <laughs> like, this is a conversation that continues to happen, and it's the whole point of our lives. So I want to invite the team up um, and remind you of some opportunities um, to embody this story of Holy Week, um, to allow those expectations to come up in you. Um, I'm so grateful for Crossroads and the ways that we have um, embodied experiences for what happened during Holy Week. So uh, for Monday, Thursday, the Marx family is leading an online um, foot washing and communion ceremony, or service is probably a better word, um, just 30 minutes online to experience what that might feel like. And on Good Friday, we can walk the Stations of the Cross and feel that powerful week of what happened moment by moment with Jesus in the labyrinth. And then I hope that you're back next week so we can joyfully celebrate new life and resurrection and how all of this comes together in the most loving and beautiful way possible. So Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful um, that our lives are ways to learn from you. And God, we wanna keep relearning who you are. We don't wanna be stuck with old vision because God, that's where anxiety creeps in. That's where shame creeps in. That chasm between what you're seeing and what we're seeing, we just wanna get a little bit closer all the time. So God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us that you never settle. Um, and we pray that you would give us the courage to be faithful, to show up each time in return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna leave today and follow the practice. Let's just hold right before us what you were holding in your mind, the thing you expected. narrative you held about Jesus. And maybe you can hold it up even higher and ask a question. Or hear the question Jesus wants to ask you. And then we're going to release it and we're going to say you're better than anything I could have ever wanted. You're better. So on this holy week, I bless my friends with what is better and pray that as they move through the week of the flipping tables and Mary anointing, weeping, worshiping, and betrayals and dinners and foot washings, each of the stations of the cross. I bless my friends with what's better. And may we each be in solidarity with Jesus, seeing his life as a part of what teaches us what our life means.
And so I bless my friends this week with what's better. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you all.